Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind. That is the mind of Christ. And I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith. I'm pastor of Emmanuel and St. Paul's Dual Parish in Southern Illinois. Here today with me is a company of Christ-confessing Concordians. We have layman Peter Slayton, who is the social media manager for the LCMS. Before we move on to... Our other one. Well, we have <laughs> Pastor other, Peter Hill. Peter. <laughs> yeah, Pastor Peter Hill, uh, pastor of Trinity of Milstadt, Illinois. But I, I, I actually received a message that someone thought I was like being offensive and calling you layman, Peter Slayton, <laughs> the last time you were on. But I want to clear this up for worldwide KFO listeners. I'm not being offensive. I, I, I view it as a title of honor, honestly. Yeah. I mean, even as we're working through the formula of Concord, this is written by a layman. Yeah, Melanchthon himself was a layman. And I, I think it's also a helpful distinction on this show to differentiate myself so people don't get confused. And if I happen to say something that sounds smart, they think I'm actually a pastor. I don't. I want to make sure we avoid that confusion, too. So, well, and, and I think it shows a wonderful a thing, too, is that lay people, I mean, should take faith seriously. They should take theology. Yeah. Theology doctrine is, is kind of the roadmap for our faith, all centering us on Jesus Christ, the ultimate destination. Yeah, that, the, the Book of Concord isn't just for pastors. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, is if, if, if we give Peter Ill a microphone, <laughs> now, now you should have a microphone. We're good. Woo! The Book of Concord isn't just for pastors. When we say that it is for Concord so that we all read, believe, teach, and confess the same thing, that's exactly what this is. Pastors and lay people alike. And sometimes people will say, well, the small catechism, that's for lay people, but the large catechism and all that other stuff, that's all just for pastors and just give us give us the short version. I would love to argue with that and say, no, 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 no. This book of Concord, these Lutheran confessions are for all of us and they are for all of Christ's church. So let's Let's jump into it and talk about it together. We don't hide any of this one from another. Yeah, you you actually kind of remind me of uh, you know one of my favorite uh, theologians of uh, history from. It's gonna say Walther. Yeah, CSW Walther. Yes. Absolutely, he yes. has a great quote on this, uh, uh, and uh, um, he says, you know. Every Lutheran home, in fact, should have a copy of the Book of Concord in it, and people should read it. Mm -hmm. uh, and he even in there says, you know, people might think that that old book is just for pastors, but it's not. And uh, so he certainly encourages every Lutheran home to have it. But anyway, uh, so the, and especially as we're talking about Repentance Day, which we're coming out of the season of Lent, we're, we're in Easter, but uh, as Martin Luther himself said in the first of the 95 Theses, the whole life of the believer should be one of repentance. And so this is definitely where the rubber hits the road for Christian lay people. And, uh, and, and while we have pastors on this show to do what we do and what we're trained to do, just to help teach um, the truth of our scriptures and Christian faith, uh, I, I am very valued by your presence here, layman well, Peter Slayton. We, we can look that, at it uh, this way. I am one of those people who has been taught. And so now I'm coming and helping 
pass on what what I've received from you know excellent faithful pastors and others as well. So it's it's simply that continuing passing on while being taught at the same time. I mean, I get the best of both worlds because I get to sit here and be taught by you guys and then share a little bit of what I've been taught at the same time. And yeah, good conversations. Absolutely. So anyway, thank you for being on. And I just wanted to clear the air and say I was not being offensive when I dubbed you layman Peter Slayton. And I am not offended at all. And I I definitely got that that day. But uh, just to clear it up. Uh, My problem is I just keep thinking of like Watchman Nee, who I think is like some sort of heretic (laughs) over in Asia or something. I'm not sure. So I'm like... That just I just start laughing every time I hear it because I think of something else. It's like okay, well. yeah, Mister just didn't feel official enough that last time you were on, and then and then you know, and then the yeah. last time I was on, you you weren't on because you had training, you had work. I was for training the missionaries, yeah, yes, so, which yes, is good. They're work all too, well so. trained and ready to go out now. Yeah, but before we move on any further, I do want to share uh, as we're still in the introduction stage of the show. Sorry for dragging that on there. <laughs> we will get to good stuff from the Book of Concord, I promise, but. But we are a live call-in show, and you can certainly interact with us. And the number to call is 1-800-730-2727. And uh, we would be glad to uh, patch you on through here, and we can interact with you. You can also reach us through social media things. Thanks in advance to uh, our studio mom, Sarah, who will uh, pass those things along to us. And um, I'm sure there's At other KFUO ways to get KFUO Radio. At KFUO Radio. You can yes. also send us emails, I'm told, KFUO at KFUO.org. Okay. Uh, KFUO That's easy to at KFUO.org. Yeah. So so here's here's my plug for why people should call in. We we love talking with each other about what this means and what it means to be in Concord and working through all these issues, but it's even more fun when we get to help others with the questions you guys actually have about these topics. It's it's kind of like your pastor loves it when you come to him with questions about theology. The deeper, the better. They actually live for that and enjoy it. Well, we're, we're a show that really loves our listeners to ask us questions because then we know that what we're talking about is something you guys actually want to hear us talking about. So please call in. We'd love to help you out. And as we get to talk about repentance this week, one other thing about how this is timely, this coming Sunday, we get to celebrate the second Sunday of Easter, which is really exciting. All the Sundays, all the Sundays of all the Sundays are always exciting. But this one is commonly known as Thomas Sunday, when we hear about Jesus coming and speaking to Thomas and breathing on his disciples and giving the command that whoever's sins you forgive, those sins are forgiven, and whoever's sins are retained, they're retained. And so we get to talk about that very act of repentance and forgiveness uh, this coming Sunday in church. So we have a, a wonderful coincidence of repentance and faith going on around us. So is that a good segue to start reading? Because we're actually going right into That's the what I'm trying to absolution. do. All right. yeah, yeah, let's, let's All right. do it. And I am, uh, though the host, uh, I'm going to call on my brothers here to uh, to read as I had my eyes dilated and I cannot even <laughs> read my own book of I Concord. I think there's a book so, in front of me, but yeah. I'm not sure. So we're going to have to definitely go off of whatever's in my brain for me talking today. But go ahead. One of you, go ahead and take us away and read. All right. We are in the Apology of the Book of Concord, Article 12a. If you're reading along in the second edition of the Book of Concord, that would be on page 162 at paragraph 39. Furthermore, the power of the keys administers and presents the gospel through absolution, which is the true voice of the gospel. We also include absolution when we speak of faith, because faith comes from hearing, as Paul says in Romans 10:17. 
When the gospel is heard and the absolution is heard, the conscience is encouraged and receives comfort. Because God truly brings a person to life through the word, the keys truly forgive sins before God. According to Luke 10:16, the one who hears you hears me. Therefore, the voice of the one absolving must be believed no differently than we would believe a voice from heaven. Absolution can properly be called a sacrament of repentance, as even the more learned scholastic theologians say. Meanwhile, in temptations, this faith is nourished in a variety of ways, through the declarations of the gospel and the use of the sacraments, for these are signs of the New Testament, that is, signs of the forgiveness of sins. They offer the forgiveness of sins in the words of the Lord's Supper, as the words of the Lord's Supper clearly testify. This is my body, which is given for you. This is the cup of the New Testament, and so on, according to Matthew 26. So faith is conceived and strengthened through absolution, through the hearing of the gospel, through the use of the sacraments, so that it may not give in to the terrors of sin and death while it struggles. This method of repentance is plain and clear. It increases the worth of the power of the keys and of the sacraments. It illumines Christ's benefit and teaches us to make use of Christ as mediator and the atoning sacrifice. So let me ask you this. Do you think that for us as Lutherans, that repentance is complete without the absolution? Uh, That wasn't the question I was expecting. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Now, okay. Am I allowed to change your your question? Because yes, if you had said gospel the, instead of absolution, I'd be totally on board. Only because when when I heard absolution, I immediately thought of when the pastor stands up in front of me in church and speaks that absolution to the congregation. And 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 when that happens, as because it is it is faith, and I believe those words. That completes that repentance. We got the contrition and then the faith. But the reason I hesitate is because that's not the only place that can happen. And so <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm trying to wiggle a little bit. It's like, okay, if you say gospel, that's the faith part. Then I'm totally on board with you. Absolution, we tend to use primarily in that narrower sense, you know, whether it's private confession, absolution, or whether it's that public in the divine service. So that's why I hesitated. And my thought goes to when you're hearing, say, a sermon. When you hear a good sermon and the preacher is speaking the law, uh, when, when I'm hearing a sermon, sometimes I end up actually hunching over and feeling badly because the preacher apparently has been watching me all week long. And it's really <laughs> scary. Uh, and he starts naming my sins. And, and I realize that I am a poor, miserable sinner who, apart from the death of my Lord Jesus Christ, has real problems of of death and hell to contend with because I have been that sinner described in scripture and my pastor points this out and then he declares to me the gospel which is also rich and sweet and direct and clear and raises me up and there I have that that very same moment of repentance and absolution but it doesn't happen in that narrow sense absolution it happens instead in the in the preaching of the word in in the yeah. course of a sermon. Are, are we talking about a, a formula or a rite when we say absolution, or are we using it in a broader sense? Maybe that's part of my question, too. So, I guess this, 
this is where I was coming from because going back to the Augsburg, um, the Augsburg Confession itself, it, it talks about, and I don't know why I flipped back there. I can't read it. I was just realizing. <laughs> was like, why are you I was, moving? I was you just realizing, read. like, I'm flipping pages, and I was like, I can't see it. Uh, <laughs> where's my contact? They're in my eyes. I just can't see. Um, but, uh, yes, the Augsburg Confession itself talks of uh, repentance this way, that it involves two things, contrition and then something about absolution that forgives sins, right? The other part is faith, which is born of right. the gospel or the absolution and believes that for Christ's sake, sins are forgiven. Right. Page 38 in the second edition, if anybody's flipping back with us. And, and, and the way that we were just talking about here, as uh, Peter read that whole section, it, it, I guess the sense that I get, and the reason I asked this question is because I just wanted us to talk about it a little bit. Because if, you, if you're reading this, you know, you're maybe understanding, hmm, so I need this absolution for the the completion of these things. At least that's the sense I get. Do you get it? I, I can Do see you get how, that sense? Yeah, I can see how somebody would read that and think that, but we've talked so much about that forgiveness coming through the hearing of the gospel and other means, and now we're moving into the absolution as a further gift, if I can phrase it that way. But I can see how somebody might might read that. I think what helps me is remembering, well, remember the arguments and the accusations of the adversaries. One of them is, you've gotten rid of private confession absolution. You don't have it anymore. And we say, no, 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 we've retained it. So I think maybe that influences Melanchthon putting that, that in here explicitly as, no, no, we're retaining absolution. Oh, by the way, here's why we're retaining it. See how it fits into this repentance and the gospel? That's one of the reasons we're keeping it around. And, and I guess why I take it here is because what, what I'm hearing in this is, is absolution is necessary. But what they have been teaching about absolution and what sometimes we think is, is not necessarily what absolution is. Hmm. I would say my argument is, is that absolution very much is faith that believes the gospel, right? So why do I ask my pastor to absolve me when I go for confession is because I have faith that believes I have, I have contrition. I've acknowledged my situation. I am in the kingdom of Satan and I need to be rescued from this. And that's the, what the words of the gospel spoken in the absolution are. That's what rescues me, reminds me of my baptismal covenant that Christ has done in me in those waters and pulls Pulls me out of it, and so I guess what I'm trying to set up here is is the distinction of it, it's not necessarily the work of a pastor himself doing it because we would actually even say that when whenever you forgive your children, uh, you know, layman Slayton, that uh, uh, you know that that is that is the same absolution they as a pastor are speaking, forgiven. right? Yeah, and uh, and that we should all pra- make a practice of this, and uh, and so I. I, I guess what I'm kind of driving us to is a right understanding of absolution uh, as opposed to viewing it as a work or certainly as it was at the time of the Reformation and what they're writing here is this understanding that it's doing penance, that I have to do something for my repentance to be complete, um, you know, that, that I have to hear this from a pastor, otherwise it's not really complete, it's not really forgiven and so forth, whereas it's faith that drives me to go to my pastor so that he may speak those sweet wor- words to me uh, that they may really drive home. 
to to go back to your original question, Pastor Smith, I think that... And maybe it was a poorly phrased question. No, no I actually think it's a really good question. No, it's question, a good phrase because now we have to think about right. it. Right, okay. and yeah. we, we have to have a talk, and that's yeah. great. Um, I think going back to the small catechism where we say confession has two parts. First, repentance, and second, forgiveness, absol- or absolution, that is, faith. forgiveness, yeah. faith. And so... I think we're talking very well in this broad sense of absolution is faith. My own pastor has a a little quirk that it's taken me a a while to to catch up with. I'll call him and say, hey, pastor, uh, I'd love to have, uh, do you have time to hear confession? And he says, well, yes, but only if you have time to hear absolution. Uh, (laughs) And so now I'm learning to call him and ask if he has time to pronounce God's absolution for me. Uh, Because that is the end goal. And if we are simply approaching... uh, confession and absolution and repentance in order to get things off of our chest we haven't done it fully but when we go and say i want to get this off of my chest and hear that with me and you and god knowing exactly what i have done now you can have now i can have the forgiveness of my sins that is the goal of this absolution. Yeah, and, and the catechism itself even puts it this way, you know, absolution from the pastor as from God himself, right? And, and that's a helpful reminder, too. I, I remember one time I was uh, um, doing, and I'm not divulging sins that are confessed to me. I'm just divulging <laughs> an, an interesting thing that happened once, and I'm and you would have no way of figuring out who this is. But I there's a part in the individual confession of absolution, right, uh, that's in the Lutheran service book for us, uh, which I like to make use of and uh, and it says do you believe that my forgiveness is God's forgiveness and then the response that's written in the book is yes but this person said to me once no and I was like okay so now we need to talk about that yeah, we need to talk about the office of the keys and, and scripture uh, um, you know which you uh, talked to uh, earlier with uh, Jesus appearing to the disciples and he breathes on them and says whoever sins you forgive they are forgiven and whoever you don't they're not Right. And uh, and so, yeah, there, there there are multiple opportunities here to, to talk about this. This is all driving us to the gospel that comes from God himself. And it's not contingent upon the person of the pastor or the work that you do. It's literally faith that believes in that promise that Christ died for your sins. He has taken it away. And you're basically going to the very places that he has told you you can hear that that you can find that uh, so that your conscience may be at ease and at comfort. Now, in preparation for today, I actually read back to like paragraph 28 because, you know, we it's been a couple of weeks since we've been on. So this was probably covered last week. But what in talking about incomplete repentance and, and you can have that I feel bad, but without the faith, it's not actual repentance. And here we have the example of of Judas compared to Peter and Saul compared to David, which as I was reading, I was like, wow, that's that's a really interesting comparison and trying to think through. So first of all, in line 35, they actually read once again, define this faith, the second part, faith in Christ. They should believe that for Christ's sake, they are free, their sins are freely forgiven. And then you have right away, our, our, you know, Melanchthon is bringing up Saul and Judas. And I'm sitting there like, Saul and Judas. And the parts that are referenced are both of them in despair, committing suicide, the end of their life. And and the contrast between their responses to their sin and then Peter and David's responses. What's interesting is Judas, you know, pretty clearly figured out he did something wrong. So you you could argue that he had that contrition. He was in utter despair over what he had done. 
but no faith. I mean, there, there, there's that height. You know, we, we don't want, in, in a different world, if God had done things differently, there's this idea of, well, if he had just waited a couple days and Jesus had risen from the dead, would he have, and Jesus had come and spoken that forgiveness to him like he did to Peter, because Peter kind of same response, despair, and then Jesus comes and speaks that forgiveness, and there's the faith and the belief. Judas didn't have that. You know, so he, you, you're missing that second part. Um, Saul, it's interesting. It's like, okay, I remember the instances, you know, the witch at Endor and then offering the sacrifice before Samuel got there. Didn't ever really seem to actually repent. And so you're missing, maybe missing the contrition, but you're definitely missing the faith because the way in which he dies is just gone. So it's, yeah, um, it was just interesting how they bring up, okay, here's what it looks like when you're missing faith. Repentance, contrition is great. When you're missing faith, okay, here's what happens in Scripture when you're actually missing that second part. And and I think this is where I was going with my original question, too, and this is a great thing to spend some time talking about because I I have often talked about, especially when it comes to Judas, exactly what you just really brought brought out there quite well, is that there there was no question about the fact that he acknowledged that he had done something wrong. There was definitely contrition. As a matter of fact, this is probably one of the key points of scripture that shows that by works you are not forgiven, right? (laughs) Uh, Because he goes back and he throws the money back at him, right? And he's like, here, take it back. And they say, nope. And he throws it at him. And I mean, if if works and, and the feeling bad about it were good enough, then he would be forgiven. But what he lacked was that faith. Right. Yeah. And this is the big distinction that you see with Peter. And and I think this is something very important for us to to wrestle with, because I, I'm not short in my own life experience, as well as as I interact with others times when you feel really bad about something. But when you come to find the comfort of the gospel and faith that believes that Christ died for this, too, it really is a great peace and comfort to you. For those things that you look back and you're like, man, that was really stupid. I can't believe I did that. I have so betrayed Christ. Um, and 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 then, you know, that, that beautiful comfort just relieves that off. Whereas those who don't find comfort in that, they tend to feel like they're continually beat up about it. Um, they they will, will accuse others of, you know, well, you're always holding this over my head and things. And it's like, no, believe that Christ died for this too, right? We have this kind of a truism that confession is good for the soul. And that's a somewhat true statement. Confession is good, but you know what? Absolution is better. And if we focus too much on the act of getting it off our chest without the the promise of the almighty... Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died, the one who rose, the one who has all authority on heaven and on earth, can, uh, forgiving your sins, that's what it's about. Confession is good for the soul. Absolution is better. I, I really like how Confession Peter Confession is a good start for the soul. <laughs> I, I really like how Peter Ill brings like new pithy sayings to our I know, show. It's right? great. You know, uh, confession is good for the soul. That's weak compared to what Peter Ill just launched on the world here. Should that be the title? Uh, maybe if Sarah, yeah, I'm writing it down. Confession is good for the soul. Absolution is better. There we go. That's even more complete. All right. I, so one of, one of the thoughts I had as as we were talking about this, you know, Pastor Smith, you had mentioned this this despair when when people have the the contrition they just feel really bad and maybe they start feeling beat up or you know people are just hanging it over their heads the other thing that we often see 
from this is that despair just simply turns to unbelief, where without the faith of, yes, Christ can forgive this sin, Christ has forgiven this sin, he has forgiven me, what ends up happening is when people don't have that is the unbelief. And you hear of many, many people who will say, I just wasn't good enough for the church, so I gave up and walked away. Uh, and, and I'm sure many of us have friends, family members who have done that very thing where maybe they, they've done something and they know that it's bad. They know that it's wrong, but they just simply don't believe that they can actually be forgiven for that. And rather than living in the despair of that, they'll just walk away. Yeah, it definitely is a very, very sad thing, and it often manifests itself in anger. And then when you get the anger going, it certainly spins off into everything becomes angry at the church. And sometimes I think we need that that ability to just step back and say, okay, what's going on here is a lack of faith. And I know that people really don't like it when you call into question. <laughs> the, but, but, I mean, you can definitely see it at times, and you say, you know, if they believed what is offered to them here in the church, forgiveness for those very sins that they're angry about that, you know, they're holding against the church. Uh, you, you would not see them running away. You would see them running to the church because absolution is better. And where do you find it? But in the Lord's Supper, in his holy word, the pastor speaking this to you. And so uh, we should certainly run to these things. Yeah. Yep. Okay, this is this is just turned into a, time for a, break. a late night talk show where we just affirm one another and yep, Woo! yep, yep. All right, we but, need a caller to ask a question. Well, we do. Maybe. give us that number but, again, really uh, quick. Maybe during right the break before right before in. we go to break, let's give you the number again. Call in, save our show because it is falling apart off the rails. I can't see. Everybody else has nothing to say. Eight two one zero eight fifty three one four eight two one zero eight fifty, or you can reach us on Twitter at. KFUO Radio, or send us an email at KFUO at KFUO.org. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, verse 1. Each weekday, the servants of God at the LCMS International Center gather together to receive the gifts of God in His Word. I invite you to join us weekdays, 10 a.m., for a live broadcast of daily chapel services on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod daily reaches out to our members and partners working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. A gift to Lutheran Education School Association gives students the opportunity to receive an education of academic excellence that prepares them as leaders of tomorrow in mind, body, and soul. If you would like to support Lutheran Education, consider attending a Night for Kids tribute dinner auction on Saturday, April 7th. Proceeds benefit over 9,000 students enrolled in 35 Lutheran schools in our community. For information, call 314-200-0797 or visit lesastl.org. 
Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. You know, life is a potpourri of good experiences and really tough challenges. Through all those times you need, and so do I, the Lord's precious word and sacred music to get you through. That's what you get when you tune in to Moments of Assurance, Christ-centered songs, scripture, news items, trivia, humor, you name it. So tune in. You'll be richer for it over the noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO. Moments of Assurance is underwritten by Mid-American Coaches. Over the centuries, poets have looked to the Bible for their inspiration, capturing the rhythms, themes, and stories for their own writings. Shakespeare, John Milton, Christina Rossetti, John Donne, T.S. Eliot, Tolkien, Langston Hughes, just to name a few. Did you know it's estimated conservatively that Shakespeare's writings allude to the Bible more than any other playwright of the Elizabethan era, with more than 1,200 references to the Bible? The most commonly cited book is the Psalms, taken from the version in the Book of Common Prayer. And contemporary 21st century poets continue to look to the Bible for inspiration. A writer referring to poets of today said, as long as they are writing poetry, we will continue to hear the echoes of scripture in poetry. Engage with the Bible and its influence on all the arts over the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. And welcome back to Concord Matters with our company of Christ-confessing Concordians. I'm Pastor Sean Smith with Pastor Peter Ill and layman Peter Slayton. And we all love each other, and none of these titles are offensive. We take great pride in them, and we need each other, pastors and lady, together. And we have that a caller. That is what makes the church, after all. It is. You kind of have yeah. to have both to have the church. Yeah, CFW so, Walter has theses on when these. Using the wonderful. Word, Go ahead, when using the, the office laity, we need to be very clear, though, that we are pronouncing the word laity. We're not calling anybody ladies, <laughs> just so we're really, really clear. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Peter Ill, who always has to enunciate things, right? Always. Okay, all right. Well, we have a caller that called in and hopefully is going to save our show from Woo! completely going off the rails and just being nothing but yeps around. I see that we have Bill calling from St. Louis, Missouri. Go ahead. Yeah, good, uh, yeah, good afternoon. I'd uh, just like to make a comment, and maybe you can offer some counter comments. Having grown up Roman Catholic in the 1950s and gone to a Catholic school K through 12, having been taught by nuns, standing in line to go to confession was sometimes felt like you were waiting to go to the guillotine. Mm. And uh, really, it was a terror, a terror. And uh, it wasn't until I uh, started hearing the law and gospel that uh, I began to feel uh, somewhat more relieved. I've been a member of the LCMS for about 20 years now. And I still have to say, when the pastor says, I forgive you all your sins in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes I just find myself saying, Lord, I hope this is true. So maybe you can offer some uh, some uh, counseling on that. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great point that you make there. Actually, you make several good points. And, and, I, and I've encountered this as well as I meet others who come from Roman Catholicism in the background or, or anywhere where it's kind of a works-associated thing. I think it's interesting you say it's kind of like going to the guillotine. It, it, I have encountered this before where they feel like it's a dread to go be forgiven. But that's exactly what it becomes when you make it a law, I think. And uh, when you have to do something uh, or even the fact that you have to offer 
confession, instead of it being a fruit of the gospel, it becomes a law and so it becomes a terror to us. So definitely uh, that as well. And then uh, I already forgot the other part of the, the, the main question that he had. Oh, oh, believing the pastor when he says, I in the stead by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what I would simply offer here uh, for myself, and then I'll, I'm going to throw it to the other guys here, especially I want to get layman uh, Slayton's here, is uh, you're on that listening end as well, more often than we are. Um, but uh, for myself anyway, especially when I was younger, I was taught by my pastor, you believe this because that's what Christ says. And I remember having similar doubts too. And I was like, I don't know. Sometimes my pastor isn't always the most trustworthy guy. I had had a guy who was kind of a prankster sometimes growing up. A great pastor, good faithful pastor. Maybe this kind of is a another prankster. joke. Yeah, and so you know, especially when we had Easter on April Fools here recently, right? <laughs> you know, all the pastors that might have made jokes there. But but no, on a very serious note, for me, he simply instructed me. He said, "You believe it because Christ Himself says it." And uh, and that was exactly what I talked about with the prisoner in individual confession absolution once that said, I don't believe that your forgiveness is God's forgiveness. Uh, one of you guys jump in. Well, I was, was going to say, Bill, I think your question, um, your, your concern and your own experience, I think is exactly why this article has been written. Um, I think that's that's what the reformers were seeing happening in the Roman Church even back then. And I I didn't grow up Catholic, so I can't speak from from that personal experience. But in, in listening to how you describe it, it makes me wonder: is part of that that fear and that trepidation going lining up for confession? Part of it has to be due, this is an assumption on my part, to the fact that you knew you weren't actually having your sins forgiven in that confession. You were going to go in and you were going to say all the things you had done wrong, and then you were going to be told what you had to do to make up for it. Um, it whatever that meant, whether it's, you know, we, we've split hairs a lot on the, you know, you're just making up for the temporal consequences or the eternal, you know, get out of purgatory. All of that aside, the reality for you, I, I would imagine in that experience, was that you have to go into that room, tell all the wrong things you've done, and then be told how you have to fix it. And so, yeah, I can completely understand how a, a decades, you know, going through decades of that would still hang on to this day and cause some doubt of, okay, now I'm hearing this forgiveness, but in most of my life or a lot of my life, it wasn't actually forgiveness. It had strings attached, and I'm still worried that there are strings attached to it. So I can... I can em empathize, or is that sim? I think I never remember which is which. I can empathize with that and understand how, even now to this day, because of the baggage that you've brought to that, how it can be difficult to simply believe, as Pastor Smith said, I that your sins are forgiven because that's what Christ has said. So, um, yeah, I, w I will. I will pray for you. I think I can speak for the pastors too because I, I can at least understand how you would be in that position, just wondering, is this actually for me? Is the pastor actually speaking to me? Now, I would go another step further and, and encourage you, um, because of your, your past, to take advantage of that private confession and absolution with your pastor now, if you're comfortable doing so, because that may be another way to continue breaking down those barriers to hear in that personal setting to kind of have that, I don't know if redeemed is the right, <laughs> the right word, but to have that gift redeemed for you and actually hear it done the way Christ intended it to be done, where there's actual forgiveness given and it's not a further burden placed on you by your pastor. 
I might add one other thought to my my thought that ties in really well here too is that anytime you're preparing to go to uh, whether it be private confession or absolution or just the confession in the divine service and and what's spoken there um, reassure yourself with God's word the more time we spend in God's word mm, the yeah. more it really does uh, grow within us and strengthen our faith that clings on to these promises that Christ gives us. And so every time you read those words of scripture where Jesus himself says, gives this authority as you're going to hear in the divine service this coming Sunday, um, that, uh, that he really does give this authority to people to speak on his behalf, but the power is with him, just like we believe it is in the Lord's Supper, that we believe that this really is Christ's true body, true blood, and it is for the forgiveness of your sins, not because of how great the pastor is himself or or how you know majestic the, the setting of it is, but because of the power of the word that does the work connected with this thing, the very promise that Jesus gives us. Another really good scripture passage for Bill and for our other listeners who consider, is this absolution too good to be true, is Romans chapter 10, where it says that faith comes by hearing. And so when we hear these things, we accept them by faith. We hear the word of God, the word of Christ himself, who declares that your sins are forgiven. And even when the sinner in us wants to say, I'm not sure that that can be for real, and I'm not sure that 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 can be for me, we say, faith comes by hearing, and I have heard, not my pastor's word only, but the word of God. Uh, And as far as standing in line to go to confession, I think there's an important distinction that we have. Uh, When we go to confession now, we don't have to go and make a thorough uh, soul-searching list of everything that we've done wrong since our last confession. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask for God's forgiveness. This is a time, though, not only to ask for God's forgiveness, but to hear an answer from our pastor. And so we confess before God all sins, but before our pastor, we confess those sins which we particularly know and feel in our hearts. And in Luther's small catechism, he says uh, that... Uh, If somebody does not find himself burdened with these or greater sins, he should not trouble himself or search for or invent other sins and therefore make confession a torture. There's, uh, you know, Bill talked about the guillotine. There's no guillotine involved in confession and absolution. (laughs) Uh, But I know exactly what that feels like. I recently uh, got to uh, examine my uh, the confirmands at the church that I serve, and uh, they all looked very afraid. Uh, and I work really hard not to be scary, uh, and, but they looked terrified. This is not a a terrible thing. This is instead a wonderful gift. You get to hear from your pastor as from Christ himself that you, your dear sins, Christian, sorry, your sins, dear Christian, <laughs> your are dear forgiven. S- not your dear Ooh. sins. That's a different problem. Uh, your sins, dear Christian, are forgiven. Is that when you go forgiven. hunting for deer? They're, they're your the dear sinful sins. deer are the ones that I go hunting for. Right. Uh, uh, we also but, did get some... Well, I was just oh. going to say, that, that's a practice we both uh, share in examining our confirmands, uh, basically teaching them how to give right confession absolution. And I always tell them, this isn't contingent upon, you know, whether or not you'll be confirmed or not, but I want to teach you what a beautiful gift this is. And and I've seen at different times where they literally come in shaking before. Uh, <laughs> and then I always ask them, you know, after it's all done, and usually their parents do too, because uh, they have to pick them up, right? And uh, they say, so how was it? And they're like, oh, wasn't that bad? 
bad. It was pretty good. I feel better. <laughs> it's like, yes, this is the joyful response of a Christian. And so anyway, thank you for the call, Bill. Wanted to thank you for that. I think that that's uh, uh, very important things. And hopefully that's helpful to you as well. Now on to our next uh, we email got, question. We here. got five wonderful email questions five. from James. Wow. Uh, so... I, I'll, I'll read them off one at a time. I think if we try to tackle all five, we're going to be in trouble. Uh, the first one is, is there a connection between profane and impure behavior and unsound, and unsound doctrines? If so, then good and pure behavior comes from proper doctrine, right? Um, Ooh. And I would, I would give my uh, connection that there is... It all depends how you're defining the word doctrine, I think. If you are, uh, if you have profane and impure behavior, uh, I don't know that I would say that that's, uh, unsound doctrine, like you're, you're not correctly, uh, describing the two natures of Christ and how they're interrelated. But I would rather say that that our doctrine and our practice, the way that we live as Christians, are ultimately linked together. And so if we are sinners and if we persist in impure behavior, then uh, that would be a false doctrine. And we are living like God's word doesn't matter in our lives. And that's going to be a problem. Mr. Slayton. Well, I was. I wasn't intending to interrupt you. I was just not at all. I was saying I'm I was next. done. <laughs> I, I think that we have to be careful. And I, I don't know if James, you're you're doing this, but the question almost is trying to separate out doctrine as an intellectual idea. Um, where what we're talking about here in terms of behavior. So going back to part to paragraph 28 where it actually defines the two parts of repentance very quickly and then it talks about this third part so i'll just read it really quick to deliver godly consciences from these mazes of the learned persons okay there's some you know rationalism doctrine belief kind of stuff maybe we have attributed these two parts to repentance contrition and faith if anyone desires to add a third fruit worthy of repentance that is a change of the entire life and character for the better, we will not oppose it. So now we want to be careful. We're not all of a sudden, or the, you know, Melanchthon isn't all of a sudden saying there's actually three parts to repentance. This third part, the fruit is actually a fruit of faith. It's actually a fruit of that second part. So we need to be careful in tying the, you know, change of the entire life and character for the better is actually a fruit of faith, which is, is tied to what we believe. And so if we're going to talk about doctrine in the sense of what do you believe, we can kind of put that together a little bit, but we have to be very careful that we're not simply saying as long as you say the right things, then you'll do the right things. It's This is a matter of faith, which is more than just saying the right words, having the right words coming out of your mouth. And it's so, not just an input-output kind of a yeah, thing, where if yeah. you put the right actions or attitudes or even doctrines in, you will get then holy, pious actions out. Yeah. I think, so I, I, as, as you phrase your question, that's the, I guess, the warning or the thing we need to be careful about as we're looking at Right doctrine leads to right behavior. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, if we're going to use big words like that. <laughs> orthodoxy means right doctrine. Orthopraxy means right behavior. There that's we go. Yeah. Technically, Woo! orthodoxy means right praise. But anyway, that's 
just nerding Ooh, you. Now we're but, getting uh, really particular. <laughs> Excellent. I like this. But but moving back into this then, yes, I mean, th- there there will always be a connection. My guy CFW Walter always talks about this in Law and Gospel, right? There, there will be a connection of these fruits of the gospel, right, that, that believes this. And the classic example I give of this is that, um, you know, when I get pulled over for speeding and the police officer sees my collar and he has mercy on me and tells me to slow down and doesn't let doesn't give me a speeding ticket and everything and I'm very thankful for that for his superstition it of sounds not very a real yeah. by the way. <laughs> has that actually happened to you it, it might have might have a few times a uh, few? but uh, <laughs> I am a we poor miserable about, sinner too we are talking about right? confession right? today aren't See, we this, this, I am a poor miserable sinner too right and, and this makes a point because I have very good doctrine I think and I hope <laughs> uh, and yet I don't always have right practice right I, yeah. I do break the law even the law of speeding but anyway so he lets me go without a ticket right and do i slam on the gas as soon as he lets me go without a ticket and spin my tires and throw rocks out as i go on out of there and say ha fool you let me off you know no i i actually try to obey the speed limit at least for a little while right and and i'm thankful for the fact that he has let me off uh with just a warning and not giving me a ticket and and so that would be a fruit of the gospel the mercy that he had on me there right yeah and so uh that is the classic example that i give um because it would also tie in also with what the way we were talking about with uh bill's call in there uh too is, is that we're not saying that these are necessary to be present or that we have to see certain things in order to know that it's genuine repentance. We're just simply saying it will be there when when there is faith that believes that gospel. There will be this change. It, we, when we talked about contrition, it, it's when you agree with God. We talked about Romans 12 a uh, couple weeks ago. I remember exactly when it was. But when you agree with God and say, this is sin, this is bad, I should stop doing this. When when you actually agree with God in those things, you aren't going to turn around and then do those things, apart from your sinful nature, which still holds on. But as far as what you believe, the fruit of you agreeing with God of, this is really bad, I should stop doing this, will probably be you stop doing that. I mean, and that's... We have to be and, careful and, and how we'll also, far we go with also that. also happen, too, where oftentimes... I will get parishioners that come in and uh, speak with me, right? And we go through confession and absolution. And then they usually ask me, how can I stop doing this? Now, see, I see that as a fruit born of faith. Yeah, They're, they're looking for help. They're not looking for the what must I do to satisfy this so that this is right with God kind of thing. They, they believe that their sins are forgiven. They desire to live the way that God tells them. And so they're, they're asking for help in that. And, they and they truly and piously want to go and sin no more. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a good godly response. Yeah. It but is. I was saying we have to be careful that we don't don't go too far because all of a sudden what I then need to go and do may be different than what you need to go and do because of how we deal with our own sin. Right. So that's where we start getting into maybe the, the pietism and, and you know the dangerous falling off the other side of the horse thing. But the fact remains that when we recognize sin as sin, we, we do desire to stop doing it. Right. Uh, James has asked another really good question okay. in his email here. Is absolution merited or achieved through impure and profane behavior or gifted as a result of good and pure behavior? I, I'll read that one more time. Yeah, yeah. do that yeah. again. That... Is absolution merited or achieved through impure and profane behavior 
or gifted as a result of good and pure behavior. Neither. Right. (laughs) And and I I think that's uh, an important distinction for us is... uh, Absolution is a gift from God, ultimately. And so nothing that we do, uh, be it uh, evil, wicked, impious, or profane, or good, pious, and holy, earns, merits, or otherwise causes absolution to happen. What causes absolution? Your Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and commanded his disciples to forgive the sins of repentant sinners. Uh, And that is what caused absolution is Jesus said to. Yeah, going back to paragraph 35, it's, you know, sticking with our text for the for the day here. Um, it, it says, as the second part of repentance, we add faith in Christ. The gospel in which the forgiveness of sins is freely promised concerning Christ should be presented to consciences in these terrors. They should believe that for Christ's sake, their sins are forgiven. Your, your absolution is not for your own sake or because of yours. It's for Christ's sake. Um, anytime you are looking at your works to merit anything or to deserve anything, you're looking at you. You, you simply can't do that. I mean, that's the entire point that we've that they, we made an article for that we spent so much time on on justification. And now that we're coming back to with, with repentance is again and again, it's for Christ's sake. It's because of Christ. It's because of what he did at every single step along the way. Even as we talked about, you know, the contrast between Judas and Peter, even with Peter, his restoration wasn't because he did anything. If you notice, if you read the text carefully, Christ comes to Peter and speaks to him first. Peter doesn't come up to Christ and say, Lord, please forgive me. No, Christ comes to him and says, I forgive you. And it's that word that creates that faith in Peter that he is forgiven. It's Christ taking that first action all the time. Every time. I mean, that is the essence of why we're Lutheran, because it's always Christ making that first move for us every single time, and he's promised to always do that. That's why we believe what we believe, because that's there's the promise right there. I, I love the old um, confession that's from page 15 in the TLH and Divine Service Setting 3 in the Lutheran Service book. It, it has long been a great summary of exactly what we're talking about here in the nature of repentance. And since my eyesight has returned, I'm actually going to read it to make sure, although I probably know it by heart, I do it every single Can Sunday. Can we recite it with you if you remember yeah, it? Yeah, it says, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. I love what it does there. It includes that contrition and also makes the immediate move to faith, which says, and I believe that for Christ's sake, by your mercy shown to me in Christ, that this, these sins, all my sins, my very sinful nature can be forgiven. One of the interesting historical notes about the confession of absolution in the divine service is this is actually a Lutheran innovation to the divine service. Prior to the Reformation, it was not present as a part of the regular mass. Luther added it in simply because of the abuses of 
private confession absolution, how it had become a law. But as he often encourages in many of his writings, especially his exhortation to go to confession, uh, he says, when I ask you or when I bring you to confession, I'm simply bringing you to living as a Christian. It is still an important place. And so he adds it in at the as the beginning, kind of a precursor for reception of the Lord's Supper. So let me ask you this question. Just throw the throw a question out there and maybe get us talking about it. Uh, so if I miss the confession, or or as as some some of our listeners, uh, depending on how old they are, they may remember the days where you actually had to stop by for confession on Saturday before you could receive the Lord's Supper. That was part of announcing for communion, uh, bef- even in our Lutheran churches, uh, that that you would have this practice. Now again, it's a good practice born of the gospel, but had at times become maybe too law oriented. And so uh, many of our Lutheran churches don't necessarily use it anymore, though I still encourage it. Um, But should you miss the confession, especially at the beginning of the divine service, should you go to communion at the end? Yeah. I will say that I have done both in my own personal practice. Um, there and and my ju- my part we got we got a couple things to deal with because the divine service is is as a whole. Ooh, if we want to get technical, I missed the confession, which is part of the service of the word, but I was there for the entire service of the sacrament. So I mean, that's we can get really technical there. But my my justification, and I will straight up say this statement: this is how I justify myself for going to the Lord's Supper if I happen to arrive late and miss the confession at the beginning, is that. I heard the the absolution through my pastor's sermon as he's preaching long gospel to me, and therefore, you know, and I went and attended the supper as a result. So that's one way in which I've dealt with it. I've also not gone up before, too, thinking of it as a whole. So th- those are my initial thoughts. And I've done both as well. Um, I suppose my my thought on it is I don't want to make a hard and fast law or rule. If if your conscience says to you that uh, if you've heard the sermon or even if you've heard the words of institution, that's enough. And there's enough law and gospel there. Uh, I can buy that. I'm not going to fault you for saying I've heard God's word and and I would like the supper. On the other hand, though, I can certainly see the benefit of saying if I wasn't here for the confession and absolution at the beginning of the service or if I wasn't regularly receiving pastoral care from my pastor, then maybe I shouldn't receive the Lord's Supper uh, today. And so I can see the argument both ways. Uh, I would, under prayerful consideration and hearing the Word of God, uh, let your conscience, let the Word of God be your guide. Um, I'm not sure that there is a a one-size-fits-all right or wrong answer here. Absolutely. And I think I brought up too deep a question for the right at the end of the show. <laughs> but I, I do want to end with this thought that I think you're you're right on target there, that uh, not that our, our feelings about things or, or what we think about things necessarily drives us entirely. But but where's your conscience at? Because I think this fits in with first Corinthians that we should examine ourselves before receiving the Lord's Supper. And if I believe that there is forgiveness of sins for me there, well, then rightly approach that. And maybe we'll pick up this topic the next time. But for our our listeners who have tuned in, Layman Slayton has one thing before we go. <laughs> Let's say the divine service is not there to bind our consciences. It is there 
to deliver that forgiveness to us in so many different ways. And so attend your attend the service on Sunday. Be there for the absolution at the beginning. Receive the Lord's Supper at the end because you're receiving Christ. That's what it's there for. Don't bind your conscience to it. Absolutely, which is what I was going to say. Listener, <laughs> go find your forgiveness. Find your absolution. Faith that believes the promise that Christ died for your sins. Find that at your local church and... Tune back in as we continue to talk about repentance and especially that faith that clings to that promise that there is forgiveness for your sins. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for stopping by. And until next time, keep confessing, church.